0: Welcome to Software security Chat Chat, episode 218. For the 14th of October, 2015, I'm Chester Wisniewski, and I'm here with Paul Ducklin. Hello, Chester. It is it's quite nice here in the lovely city of Vancouver, and it's good to be home. We had our Thanksgiving dinner yesterday, but it's time to go back to work, and fortunately, we can rejoice in saying that the United States seems to have backed down on asking for encryption backdoors, which for those of us who care as much about encryption as you and I do, I think is pretty good news.
1: Yes, that whole idea that, well, maybe if we build in some backdoor, but then we control it really, really carefully, nothing will go wrong. I get the idea. But with encryption software, history has shown backdoors have a habit of becoming quite front door Uh, after a time and then anybody can get in it sounds as though there may be more of an encouragement actually not just to have no back doors but to do encryption properly on the grounds that what's good for the gander is good for the goose if you know what i mean
0: former cia and nsa director michael hayden uh came forward and and suggested just what you said in that Hey, um strong encryption is probably the best thing for American business, the economy and consumer privacy and protection. And while it may be more complicated and in fact annoying for law enforcement to have to be thwarted by proper encryption that in balance he supports that we have proper encryption and not uh and not provide that front door or back door. So it's nice to see President Obama supporting that as well, although uh, as we know with the American political system, um, the, the where we're at right now is a, an election coming in only 14 months. And so uh, I guess 14 months from now, we may be having this conversation again.
1: Yes. Last time it did not end well, did it? The regulation of encryption as though it was a munition in the, at the end of the 20th century in the US had the, the sort of twofold side effect of... A, styming US companies from exporting their software and B, leaving us with this weakened export grade encryption that kind of got forgotten in lots of products and caused in the last what year at least two uh, TLS downgrade attacks. So the best thing is not to not to have stuff that is below par in the first place, not even with the best will in the world.
0: Uh, Absolutely. And uh, while we're keeping up the topic of of quality, uh, today, uh, as we're recording, is Patch Tuesday. And as the tradition has been on the chat chat, not going to go into details uh, too much, but just a reminder for folks of some of the standard things that we have to say every Patch Tuesday, which is do it right away, remote code execution, all supported operating systems, all supported browsers, all supported versions of Microsoft Office, Um, So get out there, do that. And don't forget, it's not just a Microsoft exercise. Uh, There were releases today as well for Adobe Flash, Adobe Reader, Google Chrome, uh, and Microsoft's browsers, Internet Explorer, and Microsoft Edge as well. So pretty much patch all the stuff. Actually, Chester, you know, the, the interesting
1: part of this Patch Tuesday is the stuff that is just down at security advisory level at least in the Microsoft bulletins. And those have to do with encryption, don't they? .NET no longer is going to allow the RC4 cipher when it makes TLS connections. RC4 is not secure enough. It doesn't produce random sequences that are random enough.
0: Therefore, it shouldn't be used. And Microsoft has said, right, that's it, game over. Good on them. Yeah, I mean, that's really good news, Duck. And in addition to that, uh, Microsoft is also changing the um I guess the cipher preference order for its browsers and other tools to prefer AES uh GCM encryption. Microsoft also uh did release another advisory and I believe an, an actual patch as part of the patches that were released to uh revoke an authenticode certificate that was accidentally leaked by DLink. <laughs> this is this is one of those
1: things where you upload your source code to the cloud, isn't it? and in amongst your source code, you actually <laughs> include your private key by mistake. It's one of those, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and I mean, this is extra embarrassing when I hear these stories because I'm I'm a little surprised that you would get something as powerful and as expensive to acquire as a code signing certificate at the level that uh, many of these manufacturers go to um, and then not protect that key with a password. Like, I, I, I know the power of scripts, and, and I love the idea that I can, uh, you know, just trigger something and have everything happen automatically. But uh, we're talking about signing keys that are trusted by the entire planet's computers. They they do deserve some care and well-keeping.
1: They certainly do. And as I think you and I have said many times, the nice thing about encrypting everything, even if you think you can get away without doing it, is then you don't have to worry what you might have missed.
0: That, that That's exactly the case. So uh, while we're talking about encryption, uh, we can discuss, I guess, Apple's recent controversial introduction of ad blockers for iOS. And then now it's now a banning of some of these ad blockers because of how they interfere or, I guess, um, defeat the purpose of encryption.
1: Yes, it's sort of Lenovo Superfish all over again, isn't it? Uh, the idea that if you want to have something that processes ads and it's inside an HTTPS connection then you kind of need to do a man in the middle don't you and that means that you need to get the person's browser to trust your certificates instead of the real ones and that means adding a trusted root certificate to the certificate store which brings with it all sorts of risks Uh, (laughs) like what if someone gets hold of the private key so it's a, a crazy mixed up world isn't it You don't want to let just anybody decrypt any traffic because there are risks. But you also do want to let uh, things like trusted ad blockers decrypt traffic or antivirus scanners because you actually want them to know what's inside in case it's harmful. A little bit of
0: a sort of catch 44 going on. How do we pay for the internet if we block all the ads? But how do we remain safe if we don't block all the ads? And wow, yeah, I mean, catch 44, I guess, is uh, an interesting way of putting it.
1: What was interesting is that a significant number of the commenters who piled into naked security to say, don't tell me I can't block ads, I'm not going to listen, I will block ads, very many of them were not doing it because they didn't like ads, they were doing it as a security step, because they felt that even the small risk of having a poisoned ad turn up in an otherwise legitimate page was not worth it. And so that was interesting to me that a lot of people who are really pro-ad blockers, it's not so much that they're anti-ads, they're just worried by the comparatively large number of poisoned ads or malverts uh, that, have, that we've seen in recent years.
0: Well, that, that leads to uh, the topic of abuse. And uh, the gentleman in, I believe it was Iowa, who was involved in manipulating the multi-state lottery so that he could get the winning multi-million dollar ticket. And uh, he was finally, uh, but, well, I guess he was convicted a few months ago, but he was finally sentenced and he got 10 years in prison. And uh, I, th- I thought the, the verdict from the judge around the, the decision-making process about his sentence uh, was, was, a, was a good one for once. I mean, we're often critical of too much time or too little time, or you know, we've issued a warrant for so and so's arrest, but they're in country X and we'll never see them go to jail. And that sounds like it was a pretty fair process this time around.
1: Eddie Raymond Tipton, yes, he was supposed to be in charge of keeping fraudsters and crooks out of the state lotteries in multi- in, in several states as the security director of the Multi-State Lottery Association, um, but it turned out that he couldn't uh, resist abusing that power, according to the court, who convicted him for diddling the random number generator in the Iowa State Lottery so that uh, it would come up with numbers that just happened to match those on a ticket he had bought thanks to the checks and balances that meant that he wasn't supposed to be able to buy a ticket because he was employed by the lottery association uh that made it very hard for him actually to claim his winnings and in fact he wasn't able to the has you got a year to to claim your winnings he wasn't able to do that so he didn't get away with anything not only did he try and defraud the lottery, he was supposed to be the anti-fraud guy. The judge said, "Okay, that makes this much more serious than if you were just some random person." Uh, therefore, I'm going to give you the maximum penalty, ten years.
0: Yeah, it's. It, I, I did like the the reasoning there. The you know the the you were in a position of trust and you abused that trust, and and that's what makes this even worse. And. Um, and I guess, you know, as you say, the checks and balances did work, but that, that does show how important those checks and balances are. I mean, I think too often we, when we think about security, it's often bolted on at the end and we don't consider it part of a process. Maybe if you're designing a lottery, uh, hopefully those uh, uh, those steps happen earlier in the process and uh, clearly they must have in this case. It wouldn't be bad if we design more of our systems with that in mind and and I know um there were steps that I guess it seems to me maybe could have been taken that weren't, right? Like uh, being able to manipulate the randomness of the lottery suggests there were uh, there were a lack of controls in some particular area, right?
1: Yes. As far as I can make out from the case, at least the the case the prosecution made is that this guy was able to access the device that would generate the winning numbers and uh, manipulate the software, it, right? Apparently with some kind of Uh, malware that he brought in on a usb stick and then there seems to be some suggestion that he also tampered with the video evidence to kind of suppress the fact that he'd been fiddling with the machine the impression i got i mean i hope i'm wrong but it did sound as though it was maybe a little bit too easy for him to fiddle a machine that is designed with the very very specific purpose of generating completely random numbers you would have hoped that it would be much harder to go and change that part of the system. Since if there's one thing that a lottery depends on, it is randomness. Nevertheless, uh, I guess all's well that ends well. Unfortunately for him, now he has to pay the price.
0: Well, lastly, I'd like to wrap up with a story that is my favorite for the week from Naked Security. This one's from Mark Stockley, and it's called What You Sound Like After a Data Breach. And <laughs> I oh dear if you haven't read it yet
1: go to naked security type in what you sound like but if you have coffee in a mug clear your mouth and put the mug down on the table do not have coffee in your hand when you read the article or you will be cleaning your keyboard it is very amusing
0: and 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 sad that it's amusing in a way, although I, I still smile even talking about it because uh, there's so much truth to. It. I guess that's what makes it so funny, right? I mean, the best the best humor is a reflection of our own failure, and and that's kind of exactly what this story is. But uh, I was reading it and I had to keep, you know, doing a bit of a a double take to go, am I reading a real story about a data breach? Because it seems like I've read this before.
1: For those who haven't read it, an example of Mark's humor is he's taken phrases from. Real data breach, what you might call non-apologies, where companies have been required to tell their customers that they've been breached, and taken the phrases that sound most hollow and explained why. And my my favorite example is the phrase that you have probably seen in breach notifications yourself if you have been unfortunate enough to be covered by one, something along the lines of, this afternoon we became aware that some of our systems had been compromised, and Mark's example of what that means is, there's a giant flaming skull on our homepage. <laughs> uh, and you can just imagine that sometimes that's what it comes to before a company notices that something has gone horribly wrong. Don't let it get that far.
0: I, I recommend that uh, chat Chat listeners approach this article with an abundance of caution.
1: <laughs> yes. And, you know, if you are in a position uh, of having to come up with a data breach apology. Just keep it short. Keep it simple. Just say you're sorry and make it clear what you're going to do to stop it happening again and mean it.
0: Well, on that note, we'll conclude Software Security Chat Chat 218. As always, the best and latest security stories are always over at nakedsecurity.sofis.com. All of our podcasts are available via RSS. They're on iTunes, the TuneIn app, or at soundcloud.com slash sofa security. And until next time, stay secure.